You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You are the church. We are the church. We are a family brought together by God to be light, to be His light in our communities, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. We are our Father's child, as we're going to see today. One Sunday morning, the pastor noticed little Johnny. He was standing out in the foyer, and he was looking up at this plaque with these these little gold plates on it, and, and he was just staring up at it and staring up at it. And the pastor wondered, you know, what he was thinking. So he, he nudged up next to, to little seven-year-old Johnny, and, and he says, Good morning, son. And, and he said, Good morning, pastor. And um, Johnny looks at the pastor, and he says, Sir, what, what is this? And uh, the pastor said, Well, son, these are all of the people who have died while in the service. And uh, soberly, they stood there together, and, and uh, little Johnny's voice barely broke the silence when he asked quietly, Which one, sir, the 9 o'clock or the 1045? You know, um, kids are impressionable, aren't they? Um, kids, kids make up stories. Um, they, they play lots of games. Um, kids learn from those who are around them. Generally speaking, our children learn from us as mothers and fathers and as aunts and uncles. And uh, we all know the truth of this, right? Um, in, we know the truth of this statement, too. By the time a man realizes that his father was right, he usually has a son who thinks he's wrong. We have growing up to do. Um, we're all on a journey of life. And, and some of us are further ahead than others. Some of us are just beginning. Um, but, but all of this concerns a family. Fathers, mothers, children. And, and uh, that's the makeup of a family. Now, Webster says that a family is a group of persons who form a household under one head, including parents, children, and servants. This is from, from Webster's dictionary. And Webster also says that a family is a group of people who are generally not blood relations, but who share common attitudes, interests, or goals, and frequently live together. Many hippie communes of the 60s regarded themselves as families, Webster said. I think the church is regarded in the same way, in that same way, right? Except for that we don't all live together, of course. You know, and something I observe about families is that every family has a father. Now, in our culture today, that father might not be in-house, but that's a topic for another, another message. The, the truth is that every family has a father. Now, our subject this morning is God's family. And the most incredible thing that we experience in God's family, we've sung about it, is, is God's love. It's, it's His love. And as we look at the first half of 1 John chapter 3 this morning, which if you would turn there, um, that would be great. 1 John chapter 3. Just turn in your Bibles and, until you skip it at Revelation and then go back a few, uh, a few books until you find 1 John. 
John wants us in this chapter today to grasp how radically different God's love is for us than the love that we most commonly run into with those around us and even in our own families, actually. Um, God's divine love. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's you, the word that's used is agape. Um, agape is not a Greek word that we would generally apply to each other because it is a divine love. It is, it is unilateral. It is unconditional. Uh, you see, God's love doesn't depend on the object. It, it, God's love doesn't depend on you and me and what we do and what we say and what we think. I mean, He doesn't determine His, his response and actions towards us as His children based on what we do and what we say. It, it, it is well beyond that. But let's, let's just start right in. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. John is announcing and reminding us, and he does it over and over and over again in the book of 1 John, Behold the love of the Father. Behold the love of the Father. John is saying, Hey, look! Come and see! Think about this! Pay attention. This is amazing. We need to take time to contemplate, John says, this incredible love, this reality. We need to let it sink into the depths of our being. John says this love should take our breath away. It should startle us and amaze us so that we are left gasping for air. What sort of love is this? God really love me? And when you catch a glimpse of it, you just, it takes your breath away. We need to let that sink in. You know, John's words express something that is a surprise. It's truly foreign to us. Something that we're not used to. This same word that John uses, Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, when, when after Jesus calmed, well, other people, uh, when Jesus calms the storm with his voice and the wind and the waves obey him, um, their response in Matthew chapter 8 was to, to proclaim this, what kind of man is this? He's something out of this world. And so, the Father's love is amazing. It is. We are loved lavishly. Think about that word, lavishly. Now, as I have been reading First John, and, and as I live life, and I, and I contemplate my own life and my own decisions and stuff, and I look back and I see the dumb things that I've done, the dumb things that I've said or I haven't said, or the attitudes that I've had, the, the pride, the pride that, that, that I struggle with, I think to myself, why would God ever really care about me? You know, honestly, um, I'm... You know, we're all, as Adam said, we're, we're all sinners. He is holy. He is, he is unapproachable perfection. If we were in the state that we're in today, were to step into the presence of God, we would die just like that. 
Yet, God delights in changing rebels into children that are in his family. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is, that is illogical. That makes no sense to us. That makes no sense to me. If, if, I, if I base God's response to me on the way that I generally respond to people in life, it just, it just, it's far beyond what I could comprehend or understand. You know, people, people are kind of up in arms at the slap on the wrist. Those, those two boys, foolish boys, that shot the 25 antelope kind of got a slap on the wrist. People wanted them in prison. God is that gracious. I read last night about a young man who shot and killed another young man in Cheyenne and he has been given life in prison. Um, He's 17 years old. 17 years old. And at first I thought, oh, they said that he would be eligible for parole after 43 years. He'll be 60 years old in prison. And at first, my heart went out and I thought, that's so long. And then I thought, then I read the description of what he did and how he did it and I thought, maybe he deserves it. He's not beyond the grace of God. God forgives men like that. And honestly, our sins may be different in consequence and things like that, but they still separate us from God. But if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and believe that He is the Messiah, and that He is Lord and died and rose again, the Bible says that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. So, as God's children, we are given His name. We are given His name. Um, Just like my children and your children. Your children, when you left the hospital, have your last name. We have a new child. A new attendee at North Hills Baptist Church. Did you have to give him up, Sue? Or her? Is, Is she... Is he back there? Are you holding her, Jeff? Jeff, stand up and show us Emmy Noel, born last week. Oh, congratulations, you guys. Welcome, Emmy. Yeah, she'll grow up to be... I'm sure she'll turn her ringer on vibrate when she comes to church, but... What, What is her last name? Ryle, that's yours. You have given her your name. My son has my middle name. I've given my children my name. As God's children, we have his name. He has given us that. We, we have been adopted, in fact, into his family. And, and this, this illustration goes even further. When Sarah and I first got married, I adopted Cassandra, my oldest. Lots of stress, lots of worry, lots of anxiety. The Lord took care of everything. 
and, and the adoption went through. And then at the end of the adoption, actually, when, when all of the files, the papers were actually formally filed, there was a six-month waiting period, a probationary period, so that the, they could make sure that I didn't screw up or do something that would, would, would remove my ability to be Cassandra's father, right? So after the end of that six months, what happened then was we received a piece of paper in the mail, her birth certificate. And what was her last name on that birth certificate? It was Anderson. You see, she was adopted into my family. We are in, in many ways given God's last name. But know this, that we are not God's child by name only. Now, there's no way that, that, you know, biologically, Cassandra is not related to me. Adoption doesn't go that far. However, unless they've changed the laws, adoption does go as far to say that, that now I have gone through this process to adopt Cassandra. I cannot disown her. I can disown my biological children, but not her. It's permanent. It's permanent. You see, God gives us His Holy Spirit. We don't just receive His name, we get His DNA, in essence. Um, We are a new creation, the Bible says. The old has gone, the new has come. And for some of us, we struggle with that being in this flesh, in this old body, with that new life in us more than others. But yet we're still on the same journey. We still have God's DNA in us. Sometimes, you know, honestly, um, a lot of people, and this doesn't happen as much because Cassandra lives in another state, which I'm very disappointed in, but um, oftentimes people would say, she looks a lot like you. And we would just sort of chuckle, and unless we told them specifically, um, why is that? Why is that? I think because you live together and you're in the same family and then people look at you and, and, and you know, it, it's that way in, our, in, the, in the family of God also. You see, we are a part of the vine. I'm disappointed this, in myself this week that I didn't call Dick and say, tell me the process of grafting in a, an apple tree branch or whatever with another one. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's in the main. I don't understand it at all. But what's incredible is you can take one apple tree and stick it onto another and it, and it becomes the same tree. It is grafted in. There's probably a point in time where you, you, only if you knew that that had been grafted in that you would know where to look to see. That, but but it, is in, it is a part of that tree. And that's the way we are. The Bible says we, that, that, that uh, He is the vine and we are the branches and we have been grafted into Him. But we, we struggle with this. We have a hard time with this. Because we've grown up in an imperfect, demanding, approval-requiring culture based on performance. We don't mean to do this, but we tell our children, hey, great job, great job, great job. You know, way to win that game, way to get that award, way to whatever. And, and sometimes... Sometimes when our child fails or they, they don't win a game and we say, man, I just, 
I just so much appreciate the effort that you give every time, no matter how the end comes. Sometimes we view that as less good because they didn't perform or accomplish something. I Honestly, I grew up that way, not because my parents necessarily treated me that way, but I did myself. I mean, you know me. I want to win everything. And when I don't, I'm disappointed. Despite whatever great effort I may have given. But, so it's tough for us to accept God's lavish full rights acceptance, but that is exactly what it is. We are heirs to the kingdom, adopted into the family, with full rights and benefits. And this need for approval causes us to work hard at being good enough. Right? I want to be good. I want to be good. And I do. But, but where does my motivation come for that desire? Um, I think as Christians, we need to stop our busy Christian lives from time to time. And we need to honestly assess how much Christian activity we are doing because we are thankful of, for this lavish love and we are, we are living life within that lavish love, or are we being that way because we somehow think that we're justifying ourselves before God? I'm proving to Him that I'm a good disciple. I'm, I'm proving to Him that I'm worthy of being saved. Well, none of us are. Behold the love of our Father. He loves us. And how much He loves us doesn't come from how hard we work or how successful we are in something. It's because He is who He is. Behold the love of the Father. Let's, let's read to the next section, verses 2-6. through six. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but what... Uh, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who breaks, who, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. There's, there's some confusing language here. Point number two is this. I am my Father's child. I am my Father's child. The world obviously knows that we are here. It sees us. My neighbors know that I exist. I come home, I leave. What it doesn't know or understand is that we are God's children. It doesn't understand any longer the world. Why we make the decisions we make. Why we treat people the way we treat them, generally speaking. Why we have the priorities that we have. I mean, some people may think, why would you give 50 hours of your time to do something like a Stevens ministry training to help other people. I mean, some would say that's a good thing to do, but, but, but many would say, what, you don't get credit for it? it? 50 hours, you should get college credit for that. I would never do anything like that unless I got college credit for it. 
Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to sacrifice that time? Because I am a child of God and the Holy Spirit resides in me and He is molding and shaping, knocking down walls, uh, moving this over here. And he, wants me to, and he wants to use me in the life of that other person. It, it, honestly, in, a, in an unconditional way, I mean, I'm, I'm not meeting with that person in, as a Stevens minister to make them into something that I think they should be. I am my father's child. Um, purifying ourselves, it says right there. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This purification process, or last week we talked about it as the sanctification process, the process of God um, reshaping us and removing sin and, and our willingness and even ability, I think, sometimes to make really bad decisions and poor choices. Um, we are being sanctified. We are being purified. So we have this hope in Christ. So, so having this hope in Christ, our hearts, our, our, our attitudes are changed and they're, they, they're, they're becoming purified and more and more each day we begin to look like our Heavenly Father. We begin to love other people as He loves them. I am my Father's son. You are your Father's daughter. We are our Father's children. And, and we are a reflection as a child of God's family, I can no longer I I no longer have to live as a slave to sin. Before Christ, you know that's just what you did. And and honestly, generally speaking, it was it was okay. You know, oppose God. That's what I do. With this new heart, when we try to oppose God with something. He disciplines us. He, he moves us in the right direction that he wants us to go in. I mean, the fact that I can say no to sin, that it no longer has power over me because Jesus conquered it, he crucified it on the cross, is an amazing gift. It's an amazing thing in your life and mine. And, and we reflect the character of God. We, we reflect the grace and, and, and the love and the forgiveness, just like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Right? I mean, that's an amazing thing to me. A couple nights ago, I went outside and the moon was out. And I, don't, I didn't look to see if it's a full moon tonight or if that was, it was a waxing or waning moon. I don't know. But I know that growing up, one of the not real smart things that we did once in a while as kids was we would be driving around on, out in the pasture, on the county roads, on a moonlit night, and we would just turn the headlights off on the car for fun. The incredible thing, though, is you could still see the road. And, and on a really bright, full moon night, well. Now, we didn't have a lot of deer in farm country, so you didn't have to worry about that. And like I said, it was a really dumb thing to do. Don't ever do that. The point is, the point is, that moon has no source of light in and of itself. It is a mere reflection of sunshine. That's who we are. This light, like this light that, that, that Ty and, and Ryan built, that lamp in and of itself, it has no way of producing light. What the light comes from is that which was implanted in it, in empowered. 
just like you and me, that heart, that new heart that we have. And we're going to look at an illustration of that. So, so we are a reflection of him. And when Jesus finally appears, either at his return or our going to him, we shall be like him, the Bible says. John says that. We'll be like him. We're not going to be a God, but we will be like him. And honestly, I, and John says this, right, that only then will we know what that really means. Um, we're a reflection. We're also behaving like him. I mean, we are a Christian. We are his child. We have been adopted into his family. And, and we begin to take on the characteristics of our father. And we behave in the same ways that he does. Our children do that. Right? I mean, you, lots of people, they say, man, we knew it was Zach, or we saw him walking by. He walks just like you. Why is that? You know, my children don't do everything that I do or react in every way in which I did. They would be better for it if they did, of course. (laughs) But there is a certain amount of them that comes from their father. And it's no different with us and our Heavenly Father. Um, John Stott says it this way. He says, It is important to remember that John is not for one moment saying that a true Christian never sins. We know that to be true. John has taught that very clearly. He has already warned us against the error and reminded us of the means God has provided for our cleansing and restoration. Although Christians fail and fall, Christians can be forgiven. But we are to remember that such forgiveness is at the expense of the lifeblood of the Son of God. Grace is free, but it is not cheap. And when we do sin, the punishment and the pain that's born and the consequence for that outside of the natural consequences that that we experience in life, but the spiritual consequences, Jesus Christ himself has borne that pain. And we need to remember that. We also need to remember this that our relationship with God isn't just about not sinning. I don't surrender my life to Him just so that I cannot sin. The deepest thing about me as I stand here this morning is not my sin, but that God dwells here. That's the most important thing about me. God dwells here. C.S. Lewis borrows an illustration from George MacDonald and and describes it this way. Imagine yourself as, as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making uh, courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. As I am behaving like Christ, I'm not, I'm not just stopping the bad things that, that I'm doing in my life, but I'm learning to love better things more. I, I want to repeat that. You might even write it down. I'm not just stopping the bad things in my life. 
I'm learning to love better things more. And as the children of God, we are being changed from the inside out. And remember, this is a process. This is not a page that just gets flipped. The new heart, yes, that's a page. And um, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The rest of, of this uh, passage in, that we're talking about this morning through verse 10, that's what John is talking about, this fruit that will be born from our life. Now, if I went out to the garden and I plant radishes, what's going to grow? No, 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 no. I, they are going to be sweet cherry tomatoes. I'm telling you, that's what those are. Are they going to look like cherry tomatoes? No. They're going to look like a radish. And they're going to taste like a radish. Not my favorite Vegetable? Tuber? Whatever. I can say all I want that that is a cherry tomato. But the truth is in the pudding, right? In what it actually is. And we can say that we're a Christian all that we want, but the, the truth is in the fruit that's being born from our life. And, and we need to, consequently, seriously evaluate that. Are, am I behaving like Christ, or and 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 is he is he growing me spiritually, or or am I just okay with making excuses with the sin in my life and just going on and on and on and on with that? As as the children of God, we are changed from the inside out, and. Um, We're going to end with this passage. I, I, you know, I have other notes and other points that I had, but we're not going to talk about those. I want to leave you with this passage from Ezekiel chapter 36 this morning. Look up here on the screen. This is what God says to the Israelites in Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Two things from that passage right there. Number one is this. As a Christ follower, as one who surrenders our life to Jesus Christ, God says right now that He gives us a new heart. He removes our heart of stone and He puts in a heart of flesh. And He fills us with His Spirit. I will put My Spirit in you. We have a new heart. The old is gone, the new has come. And then we enter into this process. And, and it's even identified in this passage here because in the end, God says that this Spirit will move us to follow His decrees. We are all in, if, if we are a, a Christ follower, we are all in motion of following His decrees. We aren't all there yet, we still sin. But we are bearing fruit. 
Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The reason, verse 8, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. His work is that heart of stone. And when we get that new heart... And, and the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God begins pumping through our soul. By the power of His Spirit, we are able to be more like Him. Not because we deserved it. Not because He owed us something. But because of His lavish love. Oh, let's focus and think about His lavish love this week. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you think, ah, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking my heart might still be stone. Have a conversation with your Creator. Lord, if, you know, because I know, I know people. I know people who I wonder. It's like, it's like looking into their life and, and, and questioning, is there any fruit being produced? I don't know. I'm not the judge. God is the judge. I also know that there are some out there who, who are following Christ, but they've got a long ways to go. There's not a lot of fruit there, but there is a little. Move you to follow my decrees. As children of God, we have been given His name, His DNA, a new heart, His spirit. And let's remember this week that it's not just about stopping the bad things in our lives. But it's learning to love better things more. Lord Jesus, thank you. You are the great physician. And in this case, as we hear from John this morning, you are a specialist doing a heart transplant. And Lord, I pray that we would all submit ourselves to you with initial faith and belief and that as you take that heart of stone out and replace it with flesh that as we submit ourselves to you on a daily basis we, we begin to see the seeds of, of that spirit in us begin to flourish and begin to produce fruits and other people around us can partake of that fruit they become recipients of, of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and right decisions. May we be encouraged by how much you love us this week and encourage one another with that in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to remind everyone as the ushers come forward that this is a time for those that call North Hill.